The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. I choose the pain of the gym to fight the pain of my body because that pain, I chose it and it's giving me results. It's giving me muscles, it's giving me pride with my body. And so at least it was empowering myself over the situation. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Self-empowerment is the ability to know what is best for yourself and taking charge of your own life. This includes cultivating skills that would ultimately influence outcomes and produce tangible results. I'm not talking about the feeling of empowerment. I'm talking about the action and seeing those results. It takes awareness and it takes courage. Marie is my guest today. She was diagnosed with a rare aggressive form of MS in February of 2016. So it's been about six years now. She's experienced severe cognitive issues, and that's as a result of having over 100 lesions. And putting that into perspective, I myself have 27 lesions. Some people say it's not how many you have, but where they're located. But I think once you get 100 of them, yeah, it's it's overwhelming in, in your brain. Anyways, Marie also developed conditions with other diagnoses. So I'm going to go through a few of these so that we are all aware of what she's going through because we're going to talk about these today. So she has Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I hope I pronounced that okay. That's a group of inherited disorders that affect your connective tissues. So that's primarily your skin, your joints, and your blood vessel walls. It's a mixture of all of those. She's also diagnosed with a group of medical conditions caused by problems with the nervous system or ANS. This is part of your nervous system that controls involuntary body functions like your heartbeat, breathing, and digestion. And so when the ANS doesn't work as it should, it can cause like heart and blood pressure problems, trouble breathing, and loss of bladder control. So she also has some stomach paralysis that's caused by something called gastroparesis, and that's resulting in her loss of 165 pounds in one year. She also has polycystic ovarian syndrome and mast cell activation syndrome. That is also known as MCAS, and it's a condition in which the patient experiences repeated episodes of the symptoms of anaphylaxis. So you've probably heard that word before. It's an allergic symptoms like when you get hives or swelling or low blood pressure, difficulty breathing, things like that. 
and she also has experienced endometriosis. She's had over 28 surgeries to correct some of these things. And Marie, despite all of that, Marie has this intense focus on bodybuilding, which helps with her neuropathic pain, basically releasing frustration. She sees bodybuilding as a means of self-empowerment, and that self-empowerment is her core value. So she takes that self-empowerment over that situation that she's in currently. So let's chat it up with Marie. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for that great introduction. It's uh... Pretty complete. <laughs> yes. So I wanted to make sure the listeners were aware um, of some of the things because I myself had to look up a lot of that. Marie's coming to us from Montreal, Canada. So you can hear a little bit of an accent there. It's beautiful, beautiful. So why don't you talk to us? Let's talk, start first with your MS diagnosis. I was diagnosed with MS in uh, February 2016. Honestly, I, I had my first relapse when I was 10 years old and a few every decade, kind of. But since 2013, it was really going back. And back then I was obese, so the doctors kept saying that it was just overweight and that's it. I did, honestly, three years of psychiatry as well because they were not believing me. The psychiatrist came with me to the emergency so they would see me because he said it's not in her head, yet they still didn't believe me. <laughs> so anyway, when I was finally diagnosed, I was when I was at the hospital, it lasted for two weeks, okay? And they, I, I read all the brochures and the, the flyers about MS because we, we were pretty sure that's what it was. The first thing that I, that I saw is that it's hard to accept and the longer you wait to accept it or to face it, the harder it is. So I, I still didn't receive the, I had received the, the diagnosis confirmation and I was like, I told myself because, you know, I live alone, I'm by myself, I don't really have family. So I, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to give myself one month to figure this out, to go through this, to accept it, and that's it. No, I didn't want to carry a weight like that. So that's pretty much what I did. The fact that I was alone, I think it helped because I didn't have to face, let's say, I know, I know some friends, they have like the pressure of the family. They, they want you to be well, or they don't want you to degenerate or like, but it's still kind of a pressure. You don't want to deceive them. So. By being by myself, it was just me, myself and I, and that's it. So I thought I did figure it out <laughs> because I just thought about the uh, physical symptoms. So I was like, okay, whatever, I'm gonna have a wheelchair at worst and uh, I'm gonna go still work. <laughs> because back then I had my businesses, I was working also uh, in finance. So it was really like career only. That's all I had in mind, that's it. And so that was in February. In May, I started Degenerate again. I started using Cane by November, no, sorry. September, I was using the Walker, September to 16. I had a big relapse in November to 16. That forced me to stop working. That forced me to, to stop the, the career, everything, because that's when I became the most affected cognitively wise, you know, like that I had most of my cognitive impairments happen at that moment or showed up at that moment. So I kind of saw, you know, for me, it was like, okay, girl, you, you thought you made your, your, uh, 
your plan, but no, 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 <laughs> that's not what you, what you had planned. So I, because it was so big, I realized that it's a new chapter. It, it's not, it's not worth it to look back and everything. I had a nice career. This was, uh, this happened. This was nice. Okay. That's my achievement, but this is a new chapter because there's no coming back and I, I cannot continue there. So instead of having regrets and stuff like that, I realized there was a lot of good sides of it. The first one, I had to switch from a career point of view. That's the only thing that existed for me. And then I was at home at first and I was, I was going to the gym, but I started going more often at that time because I was like, anyway, I'm home. But it gave me time to see life. I never had the time to stop to look at the sky and to look at the sun and to have friends, to have a boyfriend. But it was just business, business, business. So it, it was great to see that the life was giving me another uh, opportunity to see life with a different optic. In January, I started January to 17. I started with the wheelchair and the powered wheelchair September to 17. Uh, 217 and 218 were the worst <laughs> because that's when my condition degenerated like straight down the hill. But again, it was so big. I think it made it easier because I know so many people that let's say they are 10 years at that level, let's say walking and then 10 years with a walker and then 10 years with a wheelchair, you know, like me, it came out in a year. So that's it. So I didn't have, okay, of course, I realized that as soon as I was trying to adapt to something, something else was coming. So I realized, okay, that, that's what it is. That's the deal. Okay. And yeah, so it went to the point that I needed uh, home care services with the executive dysfunction. Uh, it's part of cognitive impairments, but it's that I want to do something, but I'm not able to figure the, ta the, the steps to do it. So let's say I want to go eat. Yeah, but how do I do that? I don't know. I'm not able to do it. So I had to have home care services for that, to wash myself, to... I mean, I was able physically, but they had to tell me what to do, which step I was and which one I was going after. Because every five seconds I would be like, what am I even doing in the bath? So I had to restart all the time. Training was really hard because I mean, I could do the same step 20 times. I didn't realize I did it. So yeah, but I don't know. I felt it was just a, a learning path. And you know, like I had good friends that I met with MS. One of them is like my sister for me, but I, it, it was really uh, touching to see that even though I would not understand a conversation, I didn't know what they were talking about. They were just trying to make me laugh. I, I told them, what is the last thing that the illness cannot take, take me? It's my happiness. That's the only thing it cannot take. I'm not there mentally. I'm not there physically, but I can be happy. So yeah, so they were just trying to make me laugh. And I really appreciate the time that they, how they respected me and through that, you know, also. And I was having a lot of, a lot of neuropathic pain. After a year into 17, at the beginning of 2018, I decided that was enough. I couldn't continue like that. It was 24 seven at really extreme level. So I decided that was it. Back then there was no emotions. Right now I have emotions to talk about it, but back then I'd had no emotions. It was just practical. I can't continue. That's it. That's, this is too much for me. 
So I kind of made my plan and the only thing I had to figure out was my cat because she was 23 back then and it was like, she's almost dead, but she's not dead. What am I going to do? Do I kill her first? Do I leave the door open so the neighbors can get her? What am I going to do with her? <laughs> and that I thought, because I always valued a lot life. My, my parents always gave me a lot of values regarding the life, the value of life, of being alive. And it's a crisis. Okay, it's going to pass. You cannot do anything and you're going crazy because you want to go too far because it's too big for you now. Go to the hospital. But it's just a crisis. So find ways for now, but it's going to pass. I decided this is not me. So I decided to stop. I don't, I don't suggest that for everybody. Let's be honest. But I decided to stop all my medication for pain. The one that I had to stop gradually, I did gradually also, you know. Uh, so I went through like two months. It was a little bit horrible, especially with the opioids. But, and that's when I decided, because I was training, but not intensely, you know, just training for fun. And uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this 100%. I mean, it cannot be worse. There's nothing the doctors can offer me anymore. They, they don't have any solution. There's nothing else we can do. So it can't go worse than that. And that's what I did. <laughs> I didn't have an expectation. I didn't want to do it to get better. I didn't want to do it to lose weight or to whatever. It was just to feel good. That's it. And for the pain. <laughs> because I was saying, at, uh, back then I was always saying, I choose the pain of the gym to fight the pain of my body. Because that pain, I chose it. And it's giving me results. It's giving me muscles. It's giving me pride with my body. And so at least it was empowering myself over the situation. And yeah, so that's when I guess I became addicted when you start seeing results. And it took a long time though. It took for the, the first change or improvement, it took 11 months of the same exercise every freaking day. <laughs> it's surreal. After 11 months, really, now I can do it. So it was really, really exciting. So a, a few like that happened in 2019. And I, I restarted to walk. I restarted, I even ran in 2020. Of course, we both know that with a mess, if you do a little too much, you're, you pay the price after. <laughs> so after I ran, I was like a, a week in the bed, but still like, at least I did. But yeah, the, the, the situation kept getting better. The cognitive, the brain fog, the impairments, they started getting better around last year, last summer, the summer. So summer 2020, yeah. So 2020 has, was a really good year for me. <laughs> and so since then I do have brain fog, it do happen, but it's easier for me to manage it. And it's way less often before it was daily. It was all the time. Now it's maybe once a month and I know that it will happen. Like let's say yesterday, after like, I think four years, I, uh, I went outside somewhere with the walker. So walking without my wheelchair. I usually use my powered wheelchair for outside because I don't have the strength with my arms. And yeah, I knew that I would get tired with it, but I took a chance. So of course I did, I don't know, 30, 30 feet maybe. And uh, complete brain fog, knockout, I was just not there. I, I lost it completely. But I knew it would happen most, most likely because when my body is completely exhausted, the brain is the first thing to leave. So uh, yeah, but um, so that, you know, I just keep going. I mean, things are very stable since 2020. I, yeah, I became an, a sponsored athlete, <laughs> but the, the pain is much lower 
I was taking a new treatment that is, it's not experimental, but it works like on 10% of people. So they don't really offer it. And my doctor was pretty much the only one in the province to offer it. And now she just retired last week. So I don't know what I'm going to do because if I want to have it, there's a private clinic that offers it. That is the only one at like $5,000. <laughs> so I'm going to fight with the, uh, the RAMQ, the, uh, healthcare, the, the free medical healthcare, uh, program in the province that we have to see if they would accept to cover it. Yeah. But besides that, I just hope the pain will not get back to the point that it was because uh, that treatment helped me a lot. But otherwise, it's the same. I'm just going to continue to to work out more, more. As soon as there is more challenges or more, more shit to come, I just work out more. I mean, it gives me something to think about, you know? Like in 2018, I was almost every day in hospital. I had the rehab. I had every day, man. That was crazy. That's when they all diagnose everything. When I was there, first... I was always dressing up nicely because I was telling myself my brain doesn't know if I'm going out for supper after or if I'm going for clubbing or whatever. And it doesn't have to know that I'm sick and I'm going to hospital all the time. If I'm wearing clothes for hospital, I'm always going to be in my joggings. So yeah, I made sure to, to dress up nicely, to make up and everything. While I was in hospital, well, I was thinking about my next workout and about my muscles and focusing on the, on the bodybuilding. I remember having a surgery where they could not, they could not give me anesthesia. So the whole time they, they kind of put like a cover over me, like a tent on my head. So I can see, I can yeah. see what they were doing, but it was traumatizing. Yes. <laughs> so the whole time I talked about bodybuilding non-fucking-stop and I told them, don't listen to me. I don't give a shit. I just need to, to think about something else, you know? <laughs> so talking about the training, <laughs> talking about the competitions and everything. So that, that was my way to, to focus on something else because it was not worth it to, to focus on what was going on. I mean, that was too much. And oh yeah. And uh, I did the... Uh, it was a, as a guest poser, I, I participate to a competition, a bodybuilding competition, because back then there was no wheelchair bodybuilding competition in Canada. Since 2020, there are, so inform yourself, even though I cannot participate to any of them until 2025, but other people can. <laughs> Why can't you participate yet? I couldn't before because I, I was expecting the surgery that I just had. And I have two more surgeries coming and there's COVID, let's okay. be honest. My doctors all told me like, just stay home and don't get out <laughs> because that wouldn't be safe. But yeah, so with the two other surgeries, I expect or hope everything goes well, that by 2025, I should have been able to restart the training and to participate in competitions. So I'll be 45 and yeah, sorry, 20. 25, I'll be 45, yeah. We'll be rooting for you. Oh my goodness, that'll be really exciting and something to really look forward to, I would think. It was really good to see how respectful athletes are. Lately, I've been starting to talk a lot about, I don't care how much you lift. It's just that you give your maximum that matters. Give it your best. Whatever the best is, that doesn't matter. Just give your best. And, you know, like at the gym, yes, but it's a gym and people knew me with the time. So, okay, that's cool. They respect me. But to go to a competition and to see all those athletes that have an amazing shape and 
they work hard they know what it is they know what is the pain it's not the same pain but they still know what it is to push further you know and continue through it so it was really good to see the respect they had and it's a, it's a, it's something you want to get again you want to go back there and it's, yeah, it was amazing. A real thrill. Yeah. And so that core value of self-empowerment, it really sounds like you embody that. And finding the, just the bodybuilding has really given you some leverage to hold on to and to see those tangible results must be so thrilling. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's true. I think the self-empowerment, I mean, it doesn't have to go through bodybuilding, let's say, but it's to find a way to be in charge of the situation. Even if you cannot be, find a little something that this is what you're gonna be in charge of. Like for my workouts, when it started degenerating, I mean, you see week per week, you see the degeneration of it. You know, like last week you were 20 pounds, this week you're 10 pounds, next week you cannot lift anything. So it's reality in your face. But the fact that I give my maximum, is what I can control. So I'm going to focus on that. You know, like always find a little thing that I can keep control or I can be proud of myself or like you said, empower yourself. Yeah. And so I found you on Instagram because you like come on there in these really amazing outfits and these super high heels. And I see you in your powered wheelchair and you're like rocking it and so happy, gorgeous as all get out. And so I, what inspires you to be such a fashionista? I think it's because I always dream to wear heels and at 310 pounds, trust me, it's not that easy. And I still had a mess. I still had a hard time to walk. So the maximum I could wear back then, it was like one inch. So when I started using a wheelchair, I was like, why not? Anyway, I'm sitting and I'm not going to walk like a giraffe because I'm not walking anyway. And I'm not going to use them, like damage them or anything. I mean, I'm not, so I can keep them for a long time also. So yeah, that, that's when I started. I mean, uh, and now it's almost like the higher, the better, but... <laughs> They're like six inch heels at least, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of them. Yeah, maybe five, but yeah, most of them six about, yeah. Again, it's empowering myself. So many times, I mean, if some people wonder how they could do it, don't worry. I, yeah, okay, now I can walk with them, but we're not going to say it. But yes, I can. <laughs> you know, when you have incontinence and you have to go to the bathroom straight, you realize you can do it. I just got to hold on to the wall, get there. <laughs> yeah, but still, like, I, I put them on uh, while I'm, when I'm sitting. Otherwise, I go to my wheelchair with flats. When I get home, I take them off and then I put flats and then I walk. I know at the beginning, I, I know sometimes I have friends, they're like, how dare you? You know, like any way people will look, they will stare anyway. So might as well give them something right. to look at, you know, and be proud in the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? Right. And feel your best because that's going to make you feel good about yourself. And you look great. I got to say, you just look great. So you also do some really interesting workouts. So you use um, the fitness bands, I noticed that, like that bar. Yeah, I have uh, a Max Pro that is home gym equipment 
that can do everything. It's like uh, you could compare it to cables, which is amazing. But I also use resistance band, elastic bands, uh, plate, the, uh, barbell, dumbbell. I have a lot of uh, my videos where I show my essentials. Some basic exercises that are essential for me, I find them boring, but it's the minimum I have to do because if I don't, those muscles are the one that's gonna suffer and take the shock and I'm gonna get pain or like a tendonitis and stuff like that. Show different ways to do one thing without equipment, with equipment. You're gonna find in my workout sometimes it's in my bed because I don't have energy to get out of bed. So I still find ways to work out in bed, full body workout in bed, in a chair, a wheelchair, powered wheelchair, sitting on a bench on the floor, because that's how I started. When I was going to the gym, I started on the floor. That's it. And but yeah, up to standing basically. <laughs> so like a normal workout. So I use everything and it was a good thing to decrease and degenerate quickly because I had to find ways to keep working out and adapt my exercises. So now I adapt them and it's kind of automatic for me, but at the same time I show it because I'm like, well, it can help someone else to figure out a way to do it still. So, yeah. Absolutely. So I want to go back a little bit because I had some questions about your diagnosis. So when you were 10, you had some symptoms, some weird things happening and they occurred all the way to your diagnosis. Well, it, no, it happened when I was 10 and it lasted for about a year. After that, I was 23. Okay. This one lasted nine months and then 33 and it started going down. So I was diagnosed in 2016, okay. I was 35. Yeah. Okay. Just to get a nice little timeline of events. And there's a lot here. I mean, a lot of people in your situation would easily have given up and you were able to power back out of it and you've accomplished so much since then. How, what is your greatest accomplishment in all of this in your mind? I usually say it's the competition. I mean, uh, because the prep for it, uh, the preparation to get to that competition, there was no coach back then that wanted to train me or to risk their career because they didn't know if it would work or not with me. So anyway, <laughs> Uh, since then, I found great trainers that for my next competition, I know they're going to be there for me and everything. So this is amazing. But back then it was really hard and to shred, to, to lose weight so that you can see your muscles as much as possible for competitions. I did the best I thought. It wasn't uh, really good. The fact that I have problems with my food. I cannot follow whatever guidelines they have because I can only eat one thing. Back then I could eat one thing. It was hard, but just to do it. And the weekend of the competition was horrible. The transportation, the, the bus, it went horribly. Everything that you can think of happened. And it's not like if I prepare myself, if I call them in advance, I call them back in advance to make sure everything would be set up. Still, nothing worked. Uh, the aid transport in Niagara Falls and every, everything, basically, honestly. But there were still good people. There were, I'll be honest, there was a taxi man who accepted to do my transport for the whole weekend. Uh, I would just pay him, I mean, as a taxi. But without him, nothing would have been possible to go to the competition and everything. Mm -hmm. It was like, man, this guy, 
Yeah, there's always good people around, I think. Yeah, those hidden... That's another good side of MS. Yeah, those those hidden gems. The hidden gems are yeah, out there. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, it was a crazy weekend, but I decided to focus on the great the, the time at the competition, you know? I, and like, imagine even the music for my competition... I did the mistake. I, I thought first that they did the mistake, but I realized I did the mistake and I didn't record from the beginning the, the sample I gave them to play. So it started like in the middle. I did it and it was still great. And of course, you just want to do it again and again and again, of course. But it, it was like, it was not an achievement because let's be honest, having results after 11 months, that was a big achievement. I'm not someone who's patient usually, but when it comes to bodybuilding, it's just a process and just do it. I, I was not doing it to have results either. I was doing it to do it, to have the endorphin, to be happy, to feel good. So if they have results, good. But it, it felt really great when I was able to, to do it. In, in the, the accomplishment that were really important for me, there was a few exercises that was looking at the machine at the gym and telling the guys, guys, we got to find a way to get, put me on this machine. You know, like I want to do it. <laughs> So sometimes six months trying to figure it out and then finally we do. So it all felt like accomplishment, honestly. Uh, when I ran last year, or the first time I went outside walking, yeah, it's, it's always uh, a good feeling. But when I kept working out when I was at my worst, when I was not able to hold weights and I found gloves, special gloves to wrap the weights around your hands and I realized there was a lot of tools that I used and that were giving me the opportunity to continue. But let's be honest, it is depressing a little bit when you look at the weight, if you look at how much you lift and you see it decreasing all the time. So to continue pushing no matter what, I think that too was a good accomplishment. Even if it would not have got better, it was still good to do it. So yeah, it's... I think MS, through the ups and the downs, it gives you a lot of chances to accomplish great thing and feel good about it. You are such an inspiration. I am so, because we were going to talk like twice and things kept getting in the way. And when you contacted me and said, you ready? I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy because I knew this was supposed to happen and I knew the listeners needed to hear your story. So is there anything that you'd like to share with the listeners? I, I had something in mind and I forgot about it, but... I forget why I walk in the room a lot of times, so I get it. <laughs> but yeah, like you've mentioned at the beginning, you know, like because the illness, I lost 165 pounds. So I went from 310 pounds to now 150. I went down to 130, but now I'm much more stable at 150. Of course, there's a lot of loose skin and everything, but it's another part of accepting your body, learning to love it, learning. Like with the bodybuilding, you learn, you have to learn. <laughs> you have to learn when to push and when to respect your body. Some days it's like, Forget about it. You cannot lift anything or, you know, today the limit is there. Tomorrow will be different probably. But to learn when is the end of your, when starts the illness or the, the end of your body and when you can push further. So, and give, be compassionate with yourself, basically. Like I always say to face reality for what it is. Face the ugly truth. I mean, it's easier to, to face it live and then what? It came from Kevin Hart's show, uh, What Now? 
I've put it in my own way, but okay, you have MS, now what? Okay, you can't walk, now what? Do something about it. You cannot walk, okay, but life is not over. There's still ways to be happy. There's still ways to do something. Get over it already. I know, I know, sorry for all the listeners that for them it's hard to accept. I'm sorry, because for me, I don't give myself that opportunity or that excuse or that kind of thinking. You have a mess, you have a mess. That's it. Now, what What do you do about it? It's not the end of the day. So I know it can be hard to accept, but I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, like you need a mobility aid. Now, now you need a cane. Tomorrow you need a, wheel, a walker, a wheelchair. Yeah, then what? You're still alive. You still can do everything you want to do. You know, get over it already. You're still alive. I mean, how many people wish they would be still alive and they're dead now? Or, or they're on their deathbed and they, they would like to, to have a longer life. I mean, it's just an aid to help you go around. It's just a wheelchair to help you do your stuff. I mean, I was afraid. It's true. I was afraid when I started with the wheelchair that, no, it started with the walker. I, w I was afraid with the walker that I would look handicapped at the beginning. Okay, well, I am handicapped, so whatever. It's not the end of the world if I look like that. And at the end of the day, it was not voluntarily, but with the heels or whatever else that I decide to feel fashion about it, I don't look handicapped, I think. I think it's in your mind how you see yourself. Same way as beauty, as masculinity. I have many friends, guys, men that they feel losing their masculinity over a wheelchair come on man seriously i'm gonna show you freaking sexy masculine men and they use a wheelchair it has nothing to do with it you know <laughs> it's really you with yourself and the yeah. faster you get over it the better the easier it is and if at the beginning it doesn't feel exactly like you're over it but you're still trying Keep trying, tr keep faking it. It's going to come eventually. <laughs> wow, Marie, thank you so much. You have so much to share with all of us in this community. I'm so appreciative of you. Will you please tell people where they can find you? Uh, yes, on my YouTube, I don't... Okay, I, I put all the um, adaptive workouts on my YouTube. Uh, it's Marie Pontini, but it's easier to find me on Instagram. Marie Pontini, so M-A-R-I-E-P-O-N-T-I-N-I. And from my Instagram, you have in the bio my link with my link to the YouTube channel. Yeah, and you have all the, the, the workouts and all the craziness that I, I want to share. <laughs> and all of those links will be on the website in the blog. Um, and so from Seeing Life with Different Optics, the illness cannot take my happiness. Choose the pain of the gym over the pain of the body. Just give it your best. Find the little things you can have control over. Face the ugly truth. And really, now what? You have really added a lot to all of our lives, Marie. Thank you so, so much for being here. Everybody, if you'd like to learn more about your core values, please head over to the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. We look forward to seeing you there. Marie, again, thank you so much. I hope you keep thriving. Well, thanks to you for your show and what you do for us because uh, you're bringing a lot of hope and enjoyment in the community. So good job. Give it up. I appreciate it.
Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving.